As we begin, Father, we are grateful for uh, your illumination, that your spirit does open blind eyes to see, that you do reveal to us things that in our natural state we would never be able to understand. We pray that you this morning would empower us to see more clearly than we ever have before. We, we long to grow in deeper understanding of your will, your purposes, your ways, and understand your Son in, in His fullness. So we praise you for your grace in our lives and how you've worked and how you continue to. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever asked yourself why something is taking place? Why is it that you're enduring the certain like difficulty that you are facing? Why does this person have cancer? Why was someone in your family or close to you killed in a car accident? Why did this business fail? Why? I think we wonder why a lot. We're honest, we're asking ourselves that regularly. There are probably seasons where you find yourself doing that more than you would um, like to even maybe admit. Recently, I saw a friend from childhood who I see occasionally. He's in the ministry and we just kind of connect every once in a while. And I happen to be in Starbucks working on the study guide for this week, and he uh, was there, and I had some time to talk with him, and I just recently found out that his wife, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, went to the doctor for a routine visit, and uh, as a result of that visit, she found out she had cancer, and uh, the last two years, she's been through like 37 rounds of chemo, and um, he said the first few months of that. There's a lot of that. Why? What are you doing, Lord? Although we may not be able to identify the specifics, um, the Scripture does teach that God is sovereign over the universe and that nothing happens outside of His control. His plans are perfectly executed. And if you are His child, you can know that God for his own glory and your good is working out his plan in your life. So often we can't answer the specifics. We can say, I know that God is sovereign. I know that he reigns over all. And yet we can't really get down to the specifics of why particular things are taking place. Today we're looking at a man who was born blind and his parents had likely been tormented their whole life. Because the prevailing thought was the reason that they're facing what they're facing is because of their sin. With that being the prevailing thought of the religious leaders and therefore the thought of those around them in the community throughout their whole life, they would have been facing all kinds of difficulty. Sometimes our natural response to trouble is that God is punishing us. 
some folks grow up in an environment like that where it is kind of that thing that and that was even like in the the in other places where you'll see in other religions even where God is raining down punishment for someone's sin. How do we deal with those types of things? Well, I think one thing we have to do is that we have to say there are multiple reasons. We're going to get into that further for the trouble that we might face. But in this passage, very clearly, God may be just displaying his glory. And he wants to use you as his vessel for that. Back to my friend, his wife, after those two years of her fighting this disease now, it's still not over. The cancer is not gone. And she is still fighting through that. When I talked to him, he glorified God. I'm telling you. Like he demonstrated um, amazing like faith and joy and grace. He said that he would never want to go back to the man he was before two years prior when his wife ended up with cancer. And she, he said that what he has seen in her life not only validated his faith, it's grown him. It's done things in their family life that he said they would have never experienced. And I just think it's something very important to, to say to us this morning is sometimes he doesn't take it away. In this story, he does, but sometimes he doesn't. But in the midst of that, the things that God does through trials for the believer are absolutely astonishing. I'm not talking about in the world, but I'm saying in the believer's life, there's something of trials that present not only to the watching world, but to other believers and to ourselves of God's glorious strength in the face of the trials that we face. Today, the disciples ask why this man was um, born blind. Was it his parents or his sin? What was it? What was the purpose of that? And then we will see Jesus say, of course, it was to display God's glory. And then we'll see a number of responses. The man's response, the neighbor's response, the response of the religious leaders. We'll examine this concept of like how they do that and how they respond. And then also I think you have to kind of stop and say, hold on just a second. It's not just about the physical. John over and over tells us it's not just about the physical, but spiritual. And so he's going to help us think about spiritual blindness and the need for regained sight. This true story points to the greater story of how there is a blindness far worse than physical blindness, a spiritual blindness that can only be cured by the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's work through it and let's see where we go. Let's start here, verses 1 through 8. Jesus passes by a blind man from birth. And when you look at this, we'll see the disciples again respond, why was he born blind? Again, asking that question. Now, it is kind of a struggle sometimes, and I, and I really realize this in seminary more than any place. It would be sometimes like in seminary, you'd begin to discuss things like you're in a laboratory. And you'll bring up a topic like this, 
And it, again, like in a laboratory, you're looking at it as a scientific experiment almost. And it's a dangerous thing because you're not thinking about people. You're thinking about what position you would take about a particular issue or how you would think about it. And you kind of feel like the disciples sometimes do that, especially with this guy where he's right there and they're asking this question almost in a way where you're like, are you kidding me? I mean, is that really the proper way to handle that in this particular moment? But this is a question that everybody asks. It's almost like this, this. Uh, I mean, when you're thinking about it, it's almost like if you're really kind of, if you think in that way, you could just be very quick to say, well, uh, it had to be because of sin. That's clear to us. Somebody sinned. Who was it? Just tell us, Jesus, you know everything. Without really stopping and considering what's really going on here. People are wondering why and the reality is the Bible, it does not tell us that there's just one reason why. Uh, there's certainly things that, that you, you might say um, that do, do take place because of someone's sin. If it's, that's very clear. Uh, you could think of an example, and I read that one this week, where someone uh, is, is sexually uh, uh, promiscuous and they end up with AIDS. And you say... They were doing what was wrong. They were, it resulted in this. There are other t- situations that are totally different than that. Maybe at, at a particular time, they had some kind of blood transfusion. That, and in some way, in some odd way, they end up with this virus, not because they did anything, but because it just happened that way. And all of a sudden, you're faced with this struggle. And I think it is one of those things where you say, yes, there are times where sin results in certain levels of punishment, certain kinds of conditions, all that kind of stuff. But then there are times when it's absolutely opposite of that. When you're looking at this particular thing and you're thinking through this particular issue, Jesus says it's not about the sin of the parents and it's not about the sins of this person. It is for God to display his glorious work. God wants to use him. And sometimes you think, well, that doesn't sound very good. Like, you think about the story of Job and you think, oh, I mean, God was displaying his glory. God was revealing wisdom. He was opening all these things up. But he did it through his servant Job, who was a guy who was walking faithfully with the Lord. And you're like, man, I I just don't understand that fully. I can't grasp that. But but there is something wonderful about it. And you really even see that in the disciples. When the disciples, when they're facing different troubles, they counted themselves uh, honored to suffer for the sake of Christ, to be, to be able to display His glory in a way. So I think it's important for us to see that. He, he is showing Himself to be the light of the world as He takes this man who was blind and, and allows him to see. So I want you to think about that just for a moment, just about him being a lot of the word. Turn back to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And then verse 9, the true light, which gets light to everyone, has come into the world. Jesus is about bringing forth light into darkness, about 
taking blindness and, and, and giving sight. He's doing that throughout this gospel and we'll see him do it. So in this moment, Jesus is facing this and he stops and he says, he, he really, he kneels down the ground, he, he spits on the ground and then he takes the dirt and he, and he makes this paste and he puts it on the eyes of this man and tells him to go wash himself in order for his sight to be regained. It's a beautiful picture here of Christ's work, of his glorious work. And it's, there's a work behind the work. Not just the physical, but the spiritual. And, and you just have to think about that. Now, can you imagine this man has never seen anything? Whole life. He has been blind from birth. He, he lived in a, in a day when, and we live in a different, little bit different day, <coughs> where if someone could not see, they still have all these tools and, and all these things to help them like, be able to, to understand where they are and what's going on. And even though they cannot see, there's, there's help there. But these people are left totally to beg the rest of their life. And they're looked down upon in this culture. There are all kinds of social ramifications because the people there <clears throat> thought they are under the judgment of God. And so this person is here and Jesus comes and he heals him. And, and, and he blows our minds with this glorious picture where this now this man who was once blind can see. He can see the sky, the hills, the, his parents. I mean, all these things he could now see. So you move forward. Look at the response to Jesus' miracle. We start in verses 9 and go through 23. We're going to see the man's neighbors and, and him meeting with Jesus. And we'll see these different, different people responding some said, now here's what happens. They look at him, and some are saying, that's him. Others are saying, it's not him. It's somebody that looks like him. It's a look-alike. I mean, I, that, it's not him. It's impossible. The man is sitting there, and he's saying, I am the man. And then they ask, well, then how are your eyes open? You've been blind since birth. It's impossible. And he says, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. These neighbors are looking at this and they're going, how is this going to, how does this work? How could this be possible? Again, the spiritual blindness in the area, they cannot see that he is this one who's come. I mean, the prophets had spoken of, uh, Jesus even himself had said, remember what the prophet said to John the Baptist when John the Baptist asked, are you the one? He said, the blind receive sight. The people should know in this moment that this, that this is something extraordinary happening here. But again, there's all of that struggle and confusion going on around them. Now, Notice the response of the Pharisees. Because the people now, kind of in confusion, are going to take them, because they know all that's surrounding Jesus and what's going on at that time, they'll take them to the religious leaders. So they bring them to the Pharisees. <coughs> now, it's very important that it notes this in verse 14. It was on the Sabbath day. Jesus seemed to continually push that. That keeps bringing them to the place where those Pharisees really want to get him. Every time they think about 
him doing something on the Sabbath day. They're going after him. And so it furthers their hatred for him. And that kind of continues throughout. Uh, John will see it continue to, to rise. Now, notice what happens. The Pharisees are looking at this man. They are now claiming, oh, he's received his sight. And they say, this is, they, they're really frustrated. And it says in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner do such signs? So now they're divided and they're struggling. And everybody is, throughout John's gospel, kind of struggling because they can't see spiritually speaking. They can't understand spiritually speaking. They are blind to the things of God. Verse 17. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And this man says he is a prophet. That's one of those big kind of messianic figures along the way throughout John's gospel that presents Jesus as the one who is to come who's going to do miraculous things, but also speak forth truth and bring and shed light, if you will. And that you notice what happens. These Jews, these Jewish leaders, they say, go get his parents. This is impossible. Go get his parents. And let's make sure what he is saying is true. His parents, what do they answer? Sorry, I'm about to get some water. The parents answer and they say, this is our son. We don't know how he was healed. We just know it's our son. And he was born blind. And so now the Jews are faced with this reality. That he is this one who has now been healed. They're faced with the reality that he can see. And so now we kind of have to ask, what, what are they going to do? The, the parents are scared. They're nervous about what's taking place. They just say, listen, we just know that's our son. You talk to him about the rest. The Pharisees call him again. So for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They are looking for any way possible for this guy to kind of condemn Jesus. And this man says, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. I mean, I, I don't really know what to tell you. All I know is that I was blind and now I see they're seeking to give glory to God by like somehow finding a way to condemn Jesus and he says I can't tell you anything about him except for this he has given me sight he goes on this man kind of goes after them a little bit maybe not even knowingly but he says what are y'all trying to do do y'all want to be his disciples and they come up with a revolt they attack him And they're saying, we are disciples of Moses only. And one of the things we found out is they're really not honest with that. They have not fully been following the law of Moses. It's very clear that they even want to murder Jesus. They are not as interested in what they're saying that they're interested in. Keep going here. Verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is, this man continues... We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does this, uh, does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so this man is coming up before them. This man that in the culture has been looked down throughout his whole life 
He's been looked down upon. He really is unlearned. He is one. He's been sitting on the side of the road. He is a beggar. He is really, in a way, a burden on society. Now he's been given sight, and he begins to speak to them, and he speaks to them in a way that is absolutely shocking. He is actually bringing truth to bear in front of them. They're listening to him, and they cannot believe it. They're appalled that he would even be speaking about such things. But notice what he is saying. He is saying, only God could do this. And if this man is able to, to, to call upon God to do something like this, this means he's from God. He's, he's really building the case for what Jesus has been saying. He's saying, listen, only God opens eyes. Only God is capable of doing that. And this man must be from God. They answer him, you We're born in utter sin and you would teach us the arrogance, the blindness of these people on display here. They're like, you can't say anything to us. You are a sinner, one of the chief of sinners in our society. It's proven by the fact that God cursed you with blindness. They say, get out of here. And and likely they're throwing them out of the... um, the synagogue, it's a way of almost excommunicating him, sending him out from among them because he was speaking, literally speaking truth to them. And honestly, all he's saying is, been given sight, God gives sight, that he's the only one that could do that. I've been given sight, the man who did that for me, he must be from God. Sometimes you'll meet someone, spiritual people even. They have so made up their minds about a particular thing that no amount of evidence will move them in any way. Sometimes you'll meet them that will persecute those who are actually bringing light to bear. We see these people here doing that. And you see that identification with Jesus is going to be costly. It's something that the disciples would face. Jesus promised that. It is something that many face throughout the history of the church as they identify with Jesus. Now, you keep moving forward. This man who's really displayed these things and now been cast out, he's lived his whole life as an outcast. And now he sees and you think, he's welcomed in? No. Now he's cast out again because, again, Jesus healed him. Jesus was close to him. Jesus did something special for him. And he was honest about it. So Jesus goes and finds this man. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus goes after this man. 
And we see him do that in other times where he'd heal someone and then he comes back and he finds them and he reveals himself to them. It's almost like here he's brought light to this man. He's opened his eyes physically, but he's much he's much more interested in his soul. And so he's going to go to him and open his eyes spiritually in, in its fullness. I mean, the guy's already understands at some level that Jesus must be from God, but he needs the full revelation. And Jesus is going to offer that to him. He's going to bring that to him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, why is this title used here? We have to think about it. It's it's used in John's Gospel. And in John's Gospel, it's used really as a revelation. He is revealing. He is revealing himself as the Son of Man. He is the Word incarnate. He is the one who became flesh so that you could understand and behold the glory of God. It's also used as him as a role of judge. This emphasis on judgment. The Son of Man will come and bring and usher in judgment. That's another thing that you see about the Son of Man. And this man asks, who is he that I may believe in him? This man wants to know who the Son of Man is. And Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. And the man responds. It's an immediate response when Jesus reveals When Jesus opens his eyes to see, spiritually speaking, he responds with a a total belief. Lord, I believe. And he also responds in worship. He bows in reverence. He says, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I want to worship you. I want to serve you. If you were to look back in your life, you you kind of, and maybe you, you can, hopefully you can if you can't, I hope you will today. This would be an eye-opening experience. But I hope you could look back in your life and see when you fully grasp. And and, and maybe there are different times where you kind of, your eyes were, you just felt like they were open more clearly. But but there may have been a specific time where you could say, you know, I remember when I finally believed. When the gospel came to me when like that's what Jesus is doing he's explaining himself to him when the gospel came and the light bulb came on and you believed you 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 came to a place and you didn't that's what it says and I mentioned this I think a couple of weeks ago where in Thessalonica they turned to God away from their idols to serve the living and true God that's evidence that someone has come to faith to saving faith to a genuine faith the, the, it's, it's the, the light bulbs turn, turned on, you could say. Life is given to them. Their eyes work for the very first time, spiritually speaking. Their ears work. They understand it and they grasp it. And it forever changes them. They turn in faith and they turn. In, 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 you could say turn in faith and bow in worship. That's the picture you see here. So Jesus goes on, and this is kind of an interesting statement, especially in light of some other things in John. And he says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. One author notes it this way, this is the paradox of the revelation that in order to bring grace, it must also give offense. And so can can turn to judgment. In order to be grace, it must uncover sin. He who resists this binds himself to sin. 
And so through the revelation, sin for the first time becomes definitive. It's almost like one of those things where those who claim, those who claim to be ones who see, those who claim, oh, I see and understand, those people will be condemned. Those who say, on my own, I've come up with this, or I've understood this on my own. I've grasped all of it, and they reject the knowledge of the Son. They have in their minds the way it is to, to salvation or whatever. Those people, for instance, the Jewish leaders, they think that they see, but they're really blind. It ushers in judgment for them. On the contrary, those who understand their spiritual poverty understand their spiritual bankruptcy, understand their, 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 their absolute incapability to reach out to God, to turn to Him, those who are truly broken over their sin, they can be saved. They can ultimately experience salvation. You notice here, Jesus came to open eyes, to give light through revelation that would enable people to see. And notice the Pharisees, they ask, then are we blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind in the sense that I've spoken of blindness, as that is, understanding your lost condition, you would not be guilty because you would come to me. But because you think that you see, you really are blind and you're damned. I mean, that's kind of over and over what happens and what takes place here. And so it's in a way, it's a call to response. That's why we constantly say in John, there's this physical thing that behind that story is a spiritual truth. The reality is, is that the world is in darkness. The reality is, is that spiritual blindness is, is the way that we come into this world. We are darkened in our understanding. We are dead to spiritual things. We are deaf and blind. And, but the reality is we don't think that we are. And so sometimes very religious people that are just kind of naturally bent that way just pursue their religion and they move forward in it and they feel like they can kind of live up to it and they try to keep everybody else living up to their religious ways and the reality is is that the gospel has never penetrated their hearts it's never penetrated their life the light of the glorious gospel in the face of christ has never come to them they have never been able to see and by the grace of god if you're if you really are given sight if you if jesus opens your eyes if you're given spiritual vision then what that results in is a spiritual poverty one who says, I am an utter ruin like Isaiah 6 where he says, woe is me a sinful man. It, it's, it, you see that kind of perspective and that's what takes place with one. So that they come to this place and they say, I'm in utter brokenness. I'm so needy. I, I have no hope in it of myself. The sin in my life, the depth of it is something I could never ever ever get over it is so horrendous and it causes one to turn to the savior but for those who continue in their willful arrogance in their habitual rebellion 
They continue in their darkness and they applaud themselves for how marvelous they are. They are hopeless. I think for us as Christians here today, we need not only that initial time of spiritual light, but we need an ongoing reminder of our need for the light of the glorious gospel in our lives. We, we need to hear that over and over. We need the renewal of the Spirit. We need to pray for that. I think we also need to go out into the world knowing that there are blind people all around. Knowing that men are, are walking around us. They're, they're dead men walking. And knowing that by the power of the Word, as Jesus said, I am He. You are going out and saying, He is the one. He is the hope. And as you go out into that dark world by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, with the Word of God, people who are blind are given sight. God does that. He promises to do it to every tribe, tongue, and nation. So you and I get the glorious opportunity to go and spread this, this wonderful message. What does it look like when it's received? Lord, I believe, and then bowing in worship. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would open our hearts to, to, to the things that you've called us to this coming week. We know that you have given us works to do. You have given us works to do. We know that you give us opportunities to minister to people, to bless them. Sometimes that does look like a physical blessing. We physically bless someone. But even greater, our greatest desire is to not just address their physical need, but their spiritual needs. We live in a world, Lord, we know that's filled with sickness and darkness and decay and distress. And we pray that we, by the power of your Spirit, would go speak into the lives of those around this world and help them, by the power of your Spirit and your Word, understand that there is only one hope for them. That is, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bowing to His Lordship. Trusting in Him alone to save us. We pray that You would use us in that way. In Christ's name, Amen.